may be seated. Looking forward to Easter, opportunity to know and to realize that he is our living hope. He is not dead. He did die for us, but he is living today. He rose to have victory over Satan. We're going to talk a little bit about Satan today. and His... Irritating stick-to-itiveness, I guess, is one way to say it. I don't know if many of the... Of course, he's, 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 gener- he's the generation half of the folks in this church, so you all should remember him. Football coach by the name of George Allen. Moved from the St. Louis... Ram- or St. L.A. Rams, sorry. L.A. Rams. Back in 1971 to the Washington Redskins. And he promised them the moon. In two years, they were going to be in the Super Bowl. He was that confident in his ability to coach the team. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, in his first preseason, they, they won every game. And things were looking up. And the season started, and they won some amazing victories. Come from behind, last second, Everybody was like, yes, we're no longer going to be known as the losers. We're going to be the winners. And then the inevitable happened. They lost a game and another game and another game. And it was interesting because although George Allen was the one telling the city and the, the, the football team and all the fans that they were going to get there, They were going to get to the championship game. They were going to win the Super Bowl. He wasn't the one taking all the heat for it. They had a quarterback by the name of Sonny Jurgensen. There's one thing about Sonny Jurgensen that reminds me a lot of Nehemiah. He was not easily intimidated. He even had a few teeth knocked out playing the game, and he still wasn't intimidated. He was a tough old guy. One day after another defeat, Sonny was in the locker room getting ready to take a shower and head home. And One of those sports writers, they haven't gotten any nicer over the years. They weren't necessarily nice back in the 70s either, but sports writer leans over and says, Say, Sonny, be honest now. Don't all these off-the-wall remarks we write and all this public flack disturb you? Doesn't it make you want to quit when people throw things at you from the stands and when you get those dirty letters? Sonny leaned back, gave a big toothless grin and sighed, Nah, not really. I don't want to quit. I've been in this lead long enough to know that as the quarterback, every single Sunday, you're either in the penthouse or the outhouse. So... No, it doesn't bother me. I'm not going to quit. Sonny's comments point out an important fact. It's true that if you're a leader, you spend your time either on the top or the bottom. Not usually too much time in the middle. You're either the hero or the villain. You're either respected or virtually hated. 
People in leadership must live on the yo-yo of public opinion, under the gun of verbal jabs as well as one of the on the crest of great admiration. Being in the outhouse is a lot different and more difficult than the choice times in the penthouse. It's when we are under verbal attack of the intimidating public that we show our colors. Chuck Swindoll says, I have discovered after a number of years in the ministry that this is true even in the spiritual realm. You commit yourself to a life of faith. You declare before God and man that you're going to walk with him regardless. And suddenly it happens. The enemy turns every gun he can upon you to blast you out of the saddle, to make you finish your season in defeat, and to have you think that it's really not worth it at all. Chapters 4 and 5 in Nehemiah, Sam Ballot and Tobiah were attacking the people. But in chapter 6, Nehemiah was the lucky was the lucky leader that he was the total focus and target of their attacks to blast him out of the saddle to defeat him and make he make him feel like he lost the game to try to make him quit four times in the first few verses of chapter 6 we looked last week at at oh no they invited him out to the plain of Ono, and they said, come, let's have a powwow, let's, let's get along. One of the signs of a good leader is God gave Nehemiah the gift of discernment. And he could see right through. He could see right through what their plans were, what they were trying to do. And so four times, Nehemiah responded, Four times he said, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Now that, that, that little town that they invited him to and, and you know, was, was beautiful. Quiet little town with a brook, the perfect resort back in the day. Why wouldn't Nehemiah want to come there? Because God warned him. God gave him discernment, gave him the ability to see through their schemes. The fifth time they sent an open letter, slandered his name, put gossip out there, exaggeration, inaccuracies. What was Nehemiah's response? They accused him of of rebuilding the walls because they were going to rebel against Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah was going to set himself up as king. Forget Artaxerxes. But Nehemiah said, Hey dudes, it's all in your head. You're making this stuff up. Have some sense. And so again, he did not bow or buckle to the pressure, the, the full court press, of threats, abuse, gossip, rumor, innuendo, questioning his integrity that Satan was using through Sam Ballot and Tobiah. And Shemaiah, who is supposedly a prophet,
They're going to come kill you tonight. Let's go hide in the temple. Nehemiah knew that was wrong, so he wasn't going to go there. The law forbid someone that was not a priest from going into the temple. Nehemiah says, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. And in, in chapter 6, we, we briefly touched and closed with verses 15 and 16 last week. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month, LL, in 52 days. Um, and previously, and I'm not going to find the verse now. And it talked about the wall was done, but the doors weren't, the gates and the doors weren't finished. Now they are. Now they are. And so there's that wall of separation between the enemy on the outside and the walls protecting the Jews on the inside. And it's a, it's a wall of separation. It's a wall to, to keep the enemy out. But it's also a wall to protect us and, and so that we can stay in fellowship with the Lord. We talk about sanctification, being separated from the world and to the Lord. And that's exactly what this picture is here. With, with the wall is done. Verse 16, it came about when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. And I was so excited about sharing that last week that I hurried through some of my other notes and I want to go back and just touch on a couple of them today. But how cool is that? That when we do the work, that we do it well and we do it correctly, that the people are going to see that God's hand was in it. As we look back real quick, uh, chapter 2, verse 8. We're going to stay right in Nehemiah, but we'll hop around here a little bit. Chapter 2, verse 8, in the letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house which I, to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. Nehemiah never, through, through this whole book, never tries to take credit for the work that God is doing. He, te- he tells the people and he directs them, focus your attention on God. He is the one that's doing this work. The good hand of my God was on me. Chapter 2, verse 12, I arose in the night and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. Again, God was the one giving him the plan. God was the one that was working through Nehemiah because Nehemiah was in tune with God. He spent his time in prayer. He spent three or four months from the, from the first time King Artaxerxes says, man, why are you looking so sad today? There was about four months that he prayed and waited for the Lord to respond and to, put, to lay the plan out in front of them so that Nehemiah was seeing how God was leading and working and Nehemiah directed the people to God to see that it was God accomplishing that. 2.18 I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken. They said to them, let us arise and build so they put their hands to the good work. He motivated them, so let's go, guys, and they went. 
wasn't they didn't just sit there and keep talking about it they actually did something and you notice that that's when Satan through Samballot and Tobiah really start to ramp up the pressure up until then it's just it's just been some you know they're angry and they're upset but now they're they're taken to action verse 20 so I answered them and said to them the God of heaven okay this is in verse 19 in between those two verses Samballot and Tobiah are mocking Verse 20, the God of heaven will give us success. Chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. In the first part of chapter 4, the people were getting discouraged. They saw all the rubble that was still there, and it was discouraging because they'd been working so hard, and yet there was so much left to do. End of verse 14, Nehemiah says, Do not be afraid of them. Remember, the Lord is great and awesome. Verse 15, When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. When we get our focus right, we can get back to the work. When we take our focus off of God and what he wants us to do, we'll get bogged down in the mire and the clay. And we won't win the victory for God. Our God will fight for us. Well, it's done, kind of. Our work is never done. The wall was done. The gates were put up. And just a little looking ahead to next week in chapter 7. Verse 1 there. Nehemiah says, Come when the wall is rebuilt, I had set up the doors. The gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites were important, were appointed. There was more to be done. There was a lot more work to be done. But the first goal had been accomplished. Satan is not a quitter. Paul, as he finished the book of Romans, You'd think he, you know, that's quite a book. Obviously, it was inspired with God's through through God breathing through him and giving him the words. But he he finished penning the book of Romans, and what's there? Satan's got waiting for him a plot to kill him. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and his followers could see what the, the power that he had over death. And yet, in the week or so following that, he was marching to Calvary to his own death for us. And Satan felt that he had the victory, that he had him defeated. Satan's kind of like Tobiah. He's a little slow on the uptake, I think, sometimes. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, trying, to, trying to weigh the scales is, is, are they just stupid and they don't get it, that God's going to win in the end? Or is it just because they're relentless in their, in their desire to destroy God and to destroy his work? Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 17. In those days, many letters, <coughs> excuse me, many letters went from the nobles of Judah to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them, for many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, 
and the son of Jehoiahan, who married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Moreover, they were speaking about his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. If you can't see Satan working, he's gone undercover. And that can be a scary thing. It's almost better to have him out in the open where we can see him and combat him. Chapter 4, verse 9. We prayed to our God, and because of them we set up a guard against them day and night. They knew where the, who the enemy was. They knew where they were. So they were able to guard against and, and pray and be prepared to defeat Satan. It's harder to do if we can't see him and what he's doing. 1 Peter 5.8 talks about Satan being like a roaring lion going about seeing whom he can devour. And we had the privilege back in 2015 of going to South Africa on a missions trip with our daughter for a week. She was on a trip for 11 months. We got 10 days, but we, we took the we took the poor man's safari for $35 in about four hours. But we got to see a lion and several lionesses. And they were like, from me to the back wall. And there was no cage around the car we were in, the, the, the buggy thing, whatever. He's like, man, I sure hope this guide has a gun under that front seat in case one of these guys decides to creep over, you know. It's better if we can see Satan and what he's doing. Because he doesn't always walk around like a roaring, roaring lion. There is a point where the, the lions are very sneaky and very quiet. That's when we really have to be on our guard. We have to be ready. So we have here the, the nobles. In verse 17, it talks about the nobles of Judah. Let's take a, a quick back and, and, and take a quick look at, at, these, at these nobles in Judah. Again, we're staying in Nehemiah, but we're going to bounce a little bit. 2.16. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. Okay, they were they were nobles, nothing nothing bad here, but they were part of the group that that Nehemiah, Nehemiah wasn't letting on the plan just yet. So they were they weren't necessarily in his inner circle. Chapter three, verse five, just across the page. Moreover, next to him, the Tekakites made repairs, but their nobles did not support the work of their masters. Well, they were they lazy. They were lazy and didn't want to do the work. Or they were anti the work. And what was the work? Rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. To keep the enemy out, to allow the, the law of the Lord to be declared in practice in the city without outside interference. And these nobles wanted nothing doing with it. They didn't want to partake. So we're, we're getting a little more sense of what they're like. Chapter 4, verse 14. 
And when I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Again, kind of a neutral, neutral response of the nobles, but, but at the same time, it's kind of a negative because they're not supporting the work. Verse 19, chapter 4. And I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. Whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us, our God will fight for us. Again, they're not doing the work. They're not participating. Again, I'm not sure if it's their laziness or if it's just their fight, and and we're going to find out their true colors couple more verses here. Chapter 5, verse 7. I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles. Remember the first, the first five verses of chapter 4 was that there was a great outcry because some of the Jews were owning other Jews, taking all their money because they couldn't pay the taxes and they didn't have food because of the famine. And some Jews were taking advantage. That was the nobles. They were all about themselves. They wanted to get rich off the problems of the other people. These nobles just don't seem like they're really getting it together here. So in verse 7 of chapter 5, he he contended with the nobles. He, He called them out. He said, what you guys are doing is wrong. It's against the law. It's against God's law. You shouldn't be doing this to your fellow Jews. Well, they repented. They did the outward show because everybody else was doing that. So they, they kind of went with the flow. Because they didn't want to have to take a stand for anything. They didn't want to cause a fight, at least not at this point. So now we get to chapter 6, verse 17. And in those days, many letters went from the nobles of Judah to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. Well, isn't that just dandy? You got some people on the inside sending letters to the enemy on the outside, telling them everything that Nehemiah is saying and doing. You got Tobiah on the outside sending letters in, stirring up strife, stirring the pot, causing problems, saying, Don't follow that idiot. Don't do what he tells you to do. Verse 18 Many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son in law, and we go through that marriage thing again, all the relationships there. How many of you remember a fellow from the Navy by the name of Commodore Josiah Tatnall? Come on, school teachers, help me out here. Any history buffs? I, I, I have to confess, I know my Air Force history just a tad bit better than I know my Navy history. I'd never heard of this guy before. But it says that he is almost a forgotten name in American naval history. Well, to me, he's not a forgotten name. He's an unknown. I've never heard of him before. 
But there was an anti-European uprising in China in the late 1850s. And this Commodore came to the aid of the British squadron in the Paiho River, and he was criticized for it. In his dispatch, of course, that was, you know, that wasn't the day of satellites and instantaneous messages and, you know. He was criticized in his dispatch. Okay, he was criticized by the U.S. Navy, Secretary Navy. And in his response to the Secretary of the Navy, his defense was, blood is thicker than water. This familiar statement was recorded by John Ray in his English proverb published in 1670. So it's been around for a while. And you've been around since 1670? No. A little, little too long, huh? The meaning is obvious. Humanly speaking, you've, you have a greater obligation to a relative than you do to the stranger. And that's what we're seeing here in Jerusalem. These nobles of Judah are bound by marriage to Tobiah, the enemy on the outside of the wall. And they feel that that bond is stronger because of that marriage than their responsibility to God and Nehemiah. Jesus says in Matthew 10.37, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The blood bond that unites us to Christ is the strongest bond of all. And our loyalty to Jesus Christ must come first. These fellows, they called themselves nobles, nobles in Judah held more firmly to the blood of a human relative than they did in their responsibility to God. The nobles of Judah, boy, they just, they weren't, they weren't faithful to the ministry. They weren't faithful to the work. They'd rather be scoop, given the scoop to their family relative on the outside So, Tobiah's letters now aren't just going to the nobles as we get to the end of verse 19, the end of the chapter. Then Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. Again, four times they tried to get him to come out to the plain of Ono, and he says, I'm standing right here. I'm not moving. I'm sticking to the work that God has given us to do. And I'm not going to fall for your schemes because I know all you want to do is harm me. Then the open letter, the open ridicule, the public scorn, and Nehemiah stands firm. Tobiah still doesn't get it. He thinks a letter is going to frighten Nehemiah. But don't, don't, don't be mistaken here. Like I say, there's part of me that wants to say, hey, these, this, this guy's not the sharpest tool in the shed. He's, he's got to do something different. It ain't working. 
then there's also the warning that Satan is very persistent. Just because we feel like we've accomplished part of the work and we've got a task done for the Lord, that Satan's going to back off and leave us alone. It's not going to happen. When he sees our activity for God, he's going to ramp up the pressure. He's going to ramp it up. He's not going to back down. Satan's not a quitter. Because of our position in Christ, we better not be quitters. Remember we said in Deuteronomy, let God fight your fights. He's never lost one yet. He's got a way better record than I got. I dare say, guess, probably a little bit better record than you got. God wants to fight your battles for you if you will just let Him. Put your faith and your trust in Him. Take that time in Psalm 46.10. Take that time to be still and to know Him. To spend that time with Him. To gain strength from Him. He will never leave you or forsake you. We could remember our Hebrew lesson from a few weeks ago. Rock, Shazak. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. We have nothing to fear. I'm thankful for Nehemiah and the fact that he was relentless also. He was relentless in his goal and his purpose of getting the work of God done. And we talked about the great work that Nehemiah kept telling him, I am not coming up to the plain of Ono because I am accomplishing a great work. And it was more than just putting bricks on top of bricks and finishing the wall. What he was accomplishing was obedience to God. He was setting up the country so that they could have the opportunity to have the law of God and the rule of the law of God established inside the city walls. It was about God. It wasn't about Nehemiah. And the great work that that he wants us to be about right here in Newberry is to share the gospel with our friends, family, relatives, neighbors, everybody that we come in contact in Newberry. That is the great work that we are to be about. And that is the great work that we are to be relentless in pursuing. Never, ever, ever giving up. Winston Churchill gave that great graduation speech during World War II to, to, I don't remember which one, but to one of the college and colleges in England and he got up and his entire speech was about eight words long. He said, never, 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 never give up. And in our Christian walk, don't ever, ever give up. 
because God is with you. Be strong and courageous in accomplishing his work. Father, thank you for the example of Nehemiah and his faithfulness to you. God, help us to be that faithful. Help us to be that firm. Help us to be that relentless, that persistent in insisting that we get your great work done. When we've accomplished one part of your ministry for us here, Father, don't let us sit back and take it easy and think we've arrived. Teach us to be relentless in the pursuit of you, Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Don't forget the sign-up sheet.